This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. What do we mean when we say move? I know we've already gone through this, but there are so many definitions, it's ridiculous. So let's get to them. Move. A pattern of dance steps. So don't just stand there, bust a move. Move. To propose formally in a deliberate assembly. Think a courtroom lawyer, I move to dismiss, all that formality kind of stuff. Move. To start away from a place. To depart. Like when you're sitting on an airplane and the pilot comes on and says, It'll just be a few more minutes until we start moving. Everyone knows what that means? No one's moving. Move. To take action. Of course we end here. This is what we're talking about. Being called to action. Being called to move. Well, you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We are continuing our journey through this amazing book. Acts chapter 6. Our series is entitled Move. The church is on the move. Acts chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. As I read through these verses, I'll make a few comments and then I'll give five implications at the end of that. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now it's important that we understand the context. Last week we looked at the church that is marked by generosity. There were people who were selling possessions, selling fields, lands, houses, so that people in the church would be cared for. There wouldn't be anyone in the church who was lacking. And that was contrasted with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They actually kept back some of the money. But the problem was that they lied, saying this was all that we received. And as a result, they dropped dead. And because of that, fear spread throughout the church. But the apostles, the church, continued to advance. The gospel continued to go forth. And so there are more and more disciples but the, the religious leaders became very jealous, so much so that they took the apostles and they put them in prison. They were suffering for the sake of Christ. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. The religious leaders didn't know what to do, so they, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And we see that they actually counted it, counted, were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and continued to preach the gospel. Acts 5.42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching.
teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So they continue to preach. And what happens as they continue to preach, people came to know Jesus. So that's why chapter 6, verse 1 says the disciples were increasing. But as the disciples are increasing, the church is growing, there's an issue. There's a complaint. The text tells us by the Hellenist. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And their complaint arose against the Hebrews. These were Jewish people, so both are Jewish. The Hebrews speak Hebrew, Aramaic. So there's a complaint because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the church is continuing to care for the body. You think about a widow, especially back in that culture. The man would be working outside the home. The woman would be working in the home. And so when her husband died, she lost everything. She didn't have anything. If there were no family around, she would be left alone. And so the church was called to care for the widows. You actually kind of see this more in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul speaks about having a list for the widows in the congregation. So that the church can care for the widows. And so in this congregation, there's a daily distribution of food to care for them. However, there's an issue because the Hellenists were being neglected. So they bring it up to the church. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That was an interesting response. There's, there's, a, there's clearly a, a distinction here with the preaching of God's word and serving tables. Serving tables, servant, someone who's a servant, someone who waits on people. Maybe some of you are a waiter or a waitress serving other people. And so the apostles are saying that they need to actually continue to preach God's word but how are we going to fix this issue, solve this problem here? Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they have the, the congregation there. And they say, we want you to pick out seven men. And notice the emphasis of good repute, good reputation. They're full of the spirit. They are full of wisdom. We need people who can actually do this well. There's qualifications. And again, there's a distinction in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. So the apostles are saying, we need to continue to preach. We need to continue to pray. But we will not allow these widows to be neglected. They will be taken care of. Verse 5. 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the text emphasizes again, even with Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What the apostles did and said here actually pleased the whole church. They said, this is a great idea. This is a good thing because the widows of the church are not going to be neglected. They will be cared for. And so they select these, these men. Nicolaus, the last one, a proselyte. A proselyte was one who converted to Judaism. And then with Nicolaus, he became a Christian. He's a, a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And so they set these men before the apostles, and the apostles prayed. Right? The apostles were to give themselves to prayer. And so they prayed and laid their hands on them as a sign of affirmation. These are the ones who are going forth, who are going to care for the widows of our congregation. Verse 7. What's the result? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God continues to grow. It continues to to flourish because they were able to care for the congregation. And as the word of God increased, the number of the disciples also increased. That's amazing. We have to ask the question, why? Like, why is, this, why is this narrative, why is this story even in here? Seven verses. What would we have missed if it wasn't, if it wasn't in here? And why is it that the apostles chose Why did they choose to do it this way? Well, you have to remember, even last week, when we talked about generosity, the church wasn't generous just because. There was something that that fueled their, their generosity. The church was generous because their Savior had been generous and was generous, and is generous. Christ, who who left his throne in heaven, came down, became man, took on flesh, and died and rose again. The church was generous because he who was rich became poor for our sake, so that by his poverty we might become rich. The church knew that their Savior gave his life for them. And they were called to do the same for others in their congregation. And so in this case, the gospel fuels service. The gospel fuels compassion and and love for the congregation. But this service is much, much different. We have a a story 
in Mark chapter 10 that actually illustrates this for us. And throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests, to the elders. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And so he said that several times. And one occasion, he said that. And then James and John come up to Jesus and they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. It's pretty bold. Right after he said he was going to suffer and die, they said this. And so Jesus said, well, what would you like me to do for you? And James and John say, well, we want one of us to sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. They want the seat of prominence. In their mind, they're thinking Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament, he's going to rule and reign with, with all authority. He's going to destroy the Romans. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom. So we want to be at the top right next to him. And so Jesus asked, do you, do you know what you're asking? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? What is Jesus referring to there? Well, baptism was a picture of judgment. It was a picture of, of death and burial. Think about the reality when someone gets baptized. You see them go under the water. That's a picture of death. And what about the cup? The cup is a picture of God's wrath. You see this in, in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Drinking the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus is saying, can you do the same? James and John boldly say, yes, we can. Not realizing what that actually meant. And Jesus says, actually, you will. You will suffer. You will die. To sit at my right and my left, it's, it's not for me to give. That's been appointed by my father. And he tells them that the Gentiles, those who are not followers of God, that the Gentiles act in a way that's domineering. They want to assert their authority and be in control. And he said, it's not so among you. You want to be great, you have to be a slave. You want to be first, you have to be last. And say, this is so different. Jesus turns it upside down, and then he gives the reason for it. This is a great verse to memorize, Mark 10.45. So kids, memorize this verse, Mark 10.45, and keep it with you for the rest of your life. He gives the reason, for even the Son of Man... For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He did not come to be served, to be great, to have the spotlight. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He came to put others first. And how did he show that? What display was that? It was on the cross. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what did he do? And to give his life as a ransom. As a ransom for many. The debt that we owed God was our life. The payment was death. And Christ did that for us. Christ bore the wrath of God. He bore the wrath of God. He sacrificially laid down his life for his sheep. The Son of Man came to give his life. That is what is going to fuel our church in serving the body of Christ in serving our congregation. Cause then we remember it is not about me. Let's walk through five implications from this passage. First, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect church. I think this passage actually really highlights, you think about the early church and we think about it growing and expanding. And yet there was a problem. There was an issue here. We sometimes might come into a church or we're looking for a new church and we have these different expectations And I think some of those are good. We want churches that are preaching the gospel. We want churches that are saturated in God's word, that are standing on God's word, that are committed to prayer, committed to the congregation. We have to remember that there's there's one perfect Savior who came to redeem imperfect sinners. Imperfect people. You and I, if you are, if you're a Christian, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Christ has set you free so that now you can obey and follow and love Him. And yet at the same time, your earthly nature, sinful nature, is battling against the Spirit. And so our church, Alliance Bible Church, is not a perfect church. If there is intentional neglect on the side of the leaders, that needs to be repented of. That's sin. That needs to change. And we as a congregation, we need to be marked by by grace and, and forgiveness and compassion towards one another. And it's good for this early church to see things like this. Think about Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira are dead. Great fear spread throughout the entire church. And you actually see throughout Acts... Throughout the New Testament, you'll see over and over and over and over and over again, there is no perfect church. But there's one day, one day when Christ returns, that he will gather his church. 
his spotless, blameless, and pure bride. And that's the day we look forward to. Second, unity is essential in a church. You think about what this, what this could have done to this congregation. The very fact that this text, the text highlights the Hellenists and the Hebrews shows that there are some cultural differences here. And what's really interesting is that this is just between Jews who are from different cultures. Guess what? We're going to see this in a few weeks. The church is is slowly starting to expand. Because Jesus actually tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. What? Samaritans? And to the ends of the world. That means different people. And what happens when you get different people together? Just think about for yourself. Your spouse is different than you. Your kids, they're different. Your parents, they're different. However, the, the, the church sought to resolve this. This could have easily destroyed this church. And so the Apostle Paul can actually urge us towards unity. He talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul encourages and urges the church to seek unity That there wouldn't be division in the body. And there are many cases of this in the New Testament. He sees in the church in Corinth, they were divided because one group of people wanted to elevate this leader, and another group of people wanted to elevate this leader, and another group of people wanted to elevate this leader, and it caused division in the body. Paul urges us in Ephesians to maintain the unity of the spirit that we would actually seek this as a body you know when it, this and this this really gets highlighted when it comes to preferences in a church sometimes we we elevate our preferences as as if they are essential One of the ways you see this is actually with music. Is, is your preference, has that become your, your idol? 
Seeking unity in the church is, is committed to the essentials of the church. That I'm going to put aside my preferences when it comes to this thing here. And you wonder, like, what, what, what is going to fuel our unity as a body? Well, the answer is always Jesus, right? But in, in what way, in what manner? Well, Ephesians 2 actually helps us with this. Ephesians 2 speaks about how there are Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. And what Jesus does by, the, by his death on the cross is that he unites us together. It says that we who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Jesus, by his death, creates one new man out of the two. We both have access to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that means where, wherever you're from, wherever you were born, regardless of any type of social class, or status, that if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, and so is your brother or sister who's from a different place. And that's amazing to see in, a, in the context of a local church that people from, from all over who are so different from one another can pursue unity together. And that's all due to the work of Christ. Third, ecclesiology matters. Ecclesiology is just the study of the church. And that matters. I think what this passage actually sets forth is, is, a, is a pattern for how the, the church was to conduct itself. There, there are two offices in the church. There's the office of elder or pastor and the office of, of deacon. And so the apostles so set the example here for the, for the pastors of the congregation. What's their role? What's their responsibility? These men are called to, to preach God's word. They are to, to give oversight to the congregation. They are to feed the congregation. The ministry of the word takes different realms. The most public one is seen is, is on Sunday morning is the preaching of God's word. That the pastors throughout the week are studying and meditating on God's word to feed the flock. And along with God's word is, is prayer. Right? The apostles devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That the pastors are devoting themselves to prayer for their own hearts, for their family, and for the members of the congregation. And so, the, and the, the second office or role is the the the, the office of deacon. One pastor has called deacons the shock absorbers of the church. They take the brunt of issues like this. 
logistical, physical, financial needs of the congregation. They serve the congregation so that the pastors are free to devote themselves to studying God's word and to prayer. The other realm of of pastoral ministry when it comes to the ministry of God's word is also with families, our own families, but also families in the congregation, couples, people who are single. They are to meet with people and minister God's word. The only thing that I can give you is God's word. Because God's word is my foundation. Another helpful way of thinking about the, the difference between the two is that the, the elders or the pastors, they, they serve by leading. And the, the deacons lead by serving. And elders, deacons, the congregation works together so that God's word can continue to flourish. This is amazing. Studying and knowing about the church helps us to flourish for God's glory. And you think about the congregation. The congregation, they were the ones who who chose these deacons. And so as a congregation, as, as members of this body, you vote on deacons and elders. You have the authority to do so. Because these are people who are leading the congregation. Ultimately, we must remember when it comes to, to the church that there's, there's one chief shepherd. And it's not me. It is Christ. Christ, the good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep, who holds them in his hand, and nothing, nothing will snatch them out of his hands. And so my role is actually to point you to the chief shepherd. Fourth, the church uses ordinary means. I think it's so interesting that the congregation, the apostles, when they heard about this, they didn't say, well, let's, let's, let's go to the government. Let's, let's go to Rome and see how they can, they can help us here. They didn't say, let's, let's create a program to kind of, kind of fix this. They went to the very congregation, the, the, the people, the means by which the local church can actually care for its members is in fact the local church. This is amazing. It's actually, it's very simple and it actually helps us to rest knowing that the congregation, the, the flock is the means that God uses to care for one another. And although the the deacons lead in this, the congregation is also called to to care for each other. 
We see in, in James chapter one, James is talking about true religion. And he says true religion is actually caring for the widows and the orphans in the congregation. Caring for those who are maybe who have been outcasted. Caring for those who have been through tremendous pain. Without a spouse. Without parents. That the church is called to care for them. To be their family. Because we are one family in Christ. And really, too, you see here just the emphasis on the ordinary means of grace. What do I mean by that? That God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to, to grace us, to, to grow us in the faith through ordinary means. One of them is the word of God. Sitting under the preaching of the word of God, God uses that to grow us, to strengthen our faith. Another one is prayer. You see this earlier on in Acts chapter 2, the, they give themselves and devote themselves, the church devotes themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer. That our church should be marked by that fueled by the gospel to depend on God. All the ones that you see throughout the New Testament are the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that all, all of our sins, all of our sins have been, have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And fifth, Christ will continue to build his church. It's amazing that in verse 7 we see that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. That as the apostles, as the church chose these men, and the apostles prayed for and laid their hands on them to care for this issue that was going on at the church, what's the result? The word of God continues to increase. You kind of wonder, why would Luke, the author of Acts, tell us that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith? Like, why would he have that in there? Well, he put that in there because in chapter 5, we see that the priests were the ones who were very hostile to the gospel, hostile to Christianity, hostile to the apostles. And now a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The gospel is expanded. The gospel is being spread. God is changing hearts through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. And you wonder, man, the priests were religious people. They were ones who, who studied the Old Testament, who knew the Old Testament, and yet their hearts were far away from God. 
If you have grown up in the church and you have been trusting in your own righteousness, Bible calls you to repent and to believe in the gospel, to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you, and he is willing to. Just call upon his name, and you shall be saved. Your righteousness is not good enough. My righteousness is not good enough. Only Jesus' perfect righteousness. And yet we also see that Christ will continue to build his church even though they're suffering. Stephen, the first man who is mentioned in verse 5, not that long after, was stoned to death. The first martyr. And so there's going to continue to be suffering And Christ will still build his church. We're called to to preach, continue to preach this gospel, to rest in the power of God's word, and then also to, to care for the congregation so that if you are in need, that you come and talk to us. You let us know so that we can help you, we can care for you. And we continue to pray. Oh boy, do we need to pray because we need God. We need his grace and his mercy and we are totally dependent on him. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Father, we need you every hour, every minute, every second of the day. Lord, we are dependent on you. We are weak. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your grace. And so we thank you so much that you have given us Christ. We thank you so much that you have united us to him and to one another. And Lord, I pray that our church will be marked by compassion and love and and service You would help our eyes to be ever fixed on Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be a church committed to caring for one another. We give you thanks. We pray all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.